Yes. You are holy. We proclaim it with humility, with our spirits low, bowed to you. Jesus, meek and lowly, in humility, taking on flesh and obedient to the point of death. And then rising again from the dead to raise us to life. And for that we sing, holy is the Lord. Thank you for being at work, for receiving our worship, our praises. Look at our hearts. Help us to be humble. Help us to be meek and lowly. Help us to bow before you, Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in our hearts as we begin to hear from your word. Let it elicit more worship, more praise, that we would exult over your word. You would give us ears to hear, hearts to hear. Let it cause us to worship. Pastor Rick, as he proclaims your word, help him to shepherd us, to care for us with tenderness and kindness. And let us be open. To his shepherding, to his guiding. We thank you for our church. We thank you for you, Jesus, and all that you've done for us. And it's in your powerful name that all God's people said, Amen and Amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Welcome this morning. I, I'm so glad you're here. This is Veterans Weekend. It's a weekend that we focus on those who served our countries, our country. We have so many privileges. There, there's so many things that, that we are given, not only because we live in this land, but because we are followers of Jesus. God does an amazing thing. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we're separated from God. He loves us in that state. And, and as a result, he sent Jesus to die in our place to satisfy God's wrath so that each one of us might be called a son or a daughter of God. 
that alone, every day that you wake up, you pinch yourself, saying, are, are you serious? The almighty, holy God wants me to talk to him. He wants to be yoked up with me. He, he wants to guide me and direct me. Are, are you serious, God? You, you want to do all that for me? Amazing. You know, we're in the middle of a Hebrews 11 study. God has given us examples of people who literally have trusted his words and their lives have been transformed. God defines faith as uncompromising confidence in his words. God is pleased when we bank on his promises. Even if they don't make sense to us or experience them during our lifetime. If you've been with us, we've covered Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and last week Moses. All these folks demonstrated this type of faith by believing in God's promises. And most of them didn't even realize all that God was giving them. This week, there's a little bit of a change. First of all, we're going to focus on a nation, the faith of Israel. And we're going to look at a gal whose name is Rahab. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the blessings that you give us. We are grateful for little things, for big things, for things, God, that, well, every one of us, we don't deserve. So we just want to start off by saying thank you. Lord, we know that our world is in turmoil, that there are wars all over our world. And we pray especially this day for Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. We ask you, God, that you would use this turmoil to draw people to yourself and that they would be able to see and respond to Messiah. Father, we also thank you for all those who have served in the forces, in the military. We are grateful to be living in this land not that this land is better than any other land, but, but God, you put us here for some reason and, and we have reaped the benefits because men and women have given their lives so that we might have freedom. God, we thank you for them. We, we pray, Lord, that if there's emotional trauma, that, that you would heal them that they would understand how grateful we are. Lord, thank you for this country, and we even pray for our leaders now. We pray for our military now. We pray, dear God, that you would give them wisdom and that you would use all things to draw yourself to you. Lord, we think of the different churches in the area. We think of Chain of Lakes, and we think of Fierce, and we think of Emmanuel. And we know, God, that these churches are sharing good news. They're preaching the, the gospel. And that they are empowering your kids to go out and be salt and light. Would you encourage those flocks? Father, we thank you for those that served and feed my starving children this last week. Where they were able to well, provide food. Well, at least the way we see it, for 80 kids for one year. We pray for the kids who are hurting in Moldova. That's where this food is going to be going. So we pray that, that kids would be nourished not only with food, but that they would understand the gospel and they would turn to you, Lord. 
We pray for our kids and our workers downstairs, for all the other ministries that are going on this week. We ask you, dear God, that you would do a work. You would open our eyes, that we would see you clearer. Lord, I pray especially for today's message. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to do today. Lord, you're, you're describing some unlikely heroes. People that we probably wouldn't put in the Bible. But God, you see them differently, and it gives us hope. I pray that you would develop our faith. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray, dear God, that we would listen to you and please you because we trust you. God, we say right from the beginning, we don't understand all of your plans and all of your ways. We, <laughs> we scratch our heads. But God, we know you're faithful. We know you're loving. We know you're just. So God, would your word today feed us? Would you change us from the inside out? Would we leave different people? Father, I look in front of me too and and see all these boxes. This is the last day. We, we are so excited that our people were generous and filled all of these boxes. We don't even know how many there are, God. But with each one of these boxes, they're going to go out and lands in places that we'd never go. Gospel will be shared. Good news will be given. And God, we believe there'll be a great harvest. We will pray individually for these boxes. And we will pray corporately for these boxes, God. Because they're just boxes. We get it. But somehow they're going to be used by churches all over this world to hear that Jesus loves them. God, what a, what a wonderful ministry. Thank you. We ask you again to open our eyes now as we look in Hebrews 11. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is pleased with Israel's faith. Now, this is just a little bit different. If you've been with us in our studies, it's been individuals for the most part. And for the most part, there's only been one verse or a couple lines about their faith. And almost in every case, you scratch your head and say, wow, it's probably not somebody I would choose, especially knowing their background and knowing how they did life. Well, Israel's not going to be any different. If you've been part of any church and you've read through any, especially of the Old Testament, you're going to scratch your head because in some ways, the Jews were an ornery, crabby, complaining group of people. <laughs> but there are times that they pleased God in some amazing ways. So take your Bibles or your flat screens, Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be up on the screen for you too. We're going to read verse 29. Verse 29. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though it were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. This isn't a new story for so many of you. It is one of the stories that all the way through the New Testament, it's focused on. Almost every prophet, almost every God-fearing spokesman would refer back to the Red Sea. That this amazing, wonderful miracle of God. But let me put it in context. In spite of all the miracles that Israel just witnessed, remember it was at the very end of their stay in Egypt as slaves, God sent ten plagues in order to, well, soften Pharaoh's heart and that Israel would be able to be well, tossed out of the land, literally. 
But in spite of all the miracles, the 10 plagues, it took faith to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Let me explain that. They had just experienced the plague of blood, where all the drinking water and bathing water was turned to blood, and then the frogs, and then the gnats. They observed, they didn't experience this part. God changed his method instead of in, in, well, casting all of the plagues to all of Egypt. Then he began to protect the children of Israel. But they saw the flies in Egypt, the livestock plague, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and finally the Passover. Well, many of you know, again, these two million Jews are leaving. And God provides them something amazing because, again, it's a desert. At night, there was a pillar of fire. They would always have light. In the daytime, there was a cloud that hovered over them that gave them shade, a pillar, a cloud. God led them right to the beach, right to the Red Sea. And then it happened. (laughs) They started looking around. There was this dust trail coming after them. And literally the best of Egypt was now chasing them. The seals were coming. Well, their thoughts went south very quickly. In spite of all this that was happening. Why did you bring us to die? Aren't there enough graves in Egypt? Couldn't we have just stayed there if all you're going to do is kill us, God? Oh, Aren't we Israel in so many ways? We oftentimes, we are blessed, we are encouraged, we are strengthened. And we start complaining. And we just look out and, oh, whoa, uh, God, are are you going to take care of us? Like sometimes we think God is this genie. Oh, just protect us. Just make sure everything is comfortable for me, God. Please do that. I think we have that bent. But Moses begins to preach truth. We're going to spend a little time in Exodus. So I'm going to turn there and you can follow along with me if you would. But in Exodus, uh, starting at chapter 14, verse 13. But Moses told the people. Again, Red Sea in front of them. The SEAL team behind them. Don't be afraid. Are you serious? This is the message? Don't be afraid. We don't have a lot of options. Don't be afraid. And then he goes on. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. This is not making sense, folks, okay? You're going to see this over and over again. Hey, don't be afraid. Stand there. Okay, all right. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. God, in the next verse, tells Moses, don't cry out to me. Go lead them. Tell the people to get moving. And so a little bit in verse 21 and 22, Moses is, or we're told that Moses raises his hand. All right, raises his hand over the sea, and it parts. Two million Jews walk through the sea. Now, again, we've heard the story so much. Oh, nice miracle, Rick. Folks, listen. Try to picture this. Uh, guys, let's get walking. Hey, hey, guys, let's let's move a little bit. And they're looking around. You're going to hear in just a moment. There were walls of water. Were they able to see the fish? Was it crashing up above them? Were they getting kind of wet? How wide was it? How wide does it have to be for two million people to 
to get through. Okay, I'm seeing it. I'm understanding it. And you want me to walk. Yeah, let's do it. Walk. And they walk. This is a faith that, that actually is being applauded. Walk. Walk. In chapter 14 of Hebrews, starting at verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the waters stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of Egypt that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that God had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God was simply keeping his covenant promise to Abraham. Remember, he said, hey, I'm going to give you a nation. But in order for you to get there, let's go through the Red Sea. Oh, my word. They put their faith in the Lord. It was, had to be, scary. Yes, they saw the cloud, they saw the pillar of fire, they just, but, but again, walking through the Red Sea, God says, yeah, that's what I want you to do. They put their faith in the Lord, they put their faith in the servant, in their servant, or in his servant, Moses. Moses was the spokesman. I don't know if Moses kind of gathers some people together and say, hey man, you've got some really good faith. I'm putting you in the beginning because if you kind of just start walking through, maybe everybody else will follow. I have no idea about his strategy. I can't even imagine how two million people heard him talk. But it was happening. They could have refused to listen to Moses, but they didn't. And it's interesting that God at this time didn't focus on all their failures, their lack of faith, the times they didn't believe. They believed here. And God was pleased with their faith. Then we move on. The hall of faith surprises us because the next example of faith, whoa, doesn't make any sense. You see, after Moses and Moses died, in my opinion, the likely candidate would be Joshua. So many of you have read the book of Joshua, but know the history of Joshua. Joshua was an amazing man, young man, who actually had a lot of faith. He was part of the original 12 spies that went out and looked at Canaan 40 years before. And he was one of the two that came back and said, let's go into the land. Joshua and Caleb, they trusted God. They knew God. They said, yeah, there are walled cities. Yes, there are (laughs) giants. But our God is big. Let's do it. Ten of the spies says, no, this happened at Kadesh Barnea. Well, the ten won. They influenced all of Israel. And God at that time, because of their lack of faith, allowed them to walk in a desert for 40 years. And everybody, 20 years and above, died. Wow. So, Why wouldn't this just naturally, in Hebrews chapter 11, just go right to, well, Joshua. Joshua's a great man of faith. He also entered the land. We're going to hear some things where, where he trusted God. He knew that God was powerful and big and faithful. But it's not Joshua. It is Rahab the prostitute who is next on the list. 
A Gentile, a Canaanite, which may not mean a lot to you, but an extremely nation, uh, evil nation of people. This person would not be the one typically described as a hero. Still, God puts Rahab forward as a person to emulate. In fact, the scriptures say God is pleased with Rahab's faith. Now, we're actually going to read verse 30 in a moment, but it, takes, uh, it makes a little more sense to start with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. So that's what I'm going to read next. Verse 31, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the other people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's dig in and learn why Rahab made the cut. Now, let me remind you again, it's been 40 years since the Red Sea crossing. God is with Joshua, the new leader. This is Israel's next leader. Moses has just died. And he basically says in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua, my leader, I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to go any direction other than the direction I tell you. And if you do, you will be prosperous and you will be a great leader. Listen to my word. Trust in me, Joshua, and all things will go well. And and by the way, he did. But as you read through Joshua, there were still walled cities, which we're going to get to, and giants in the land. So listening to God wasn't this easy street again. But the scriptures tell us in the first part of Joshua that Joshua sends two spies out. He says, I want you to check out the land. I actually want you to go into Jericho. I want you to see where their strongholds are. I would like you to go on an advanced mission. All right? So the two spies, we're told, enter the city and spend the night at Rahab's. Now, I, you know, you just kind of like thinking through this. Um, couldn't God guided them to the local grocery store owner? You know? Or was it that he guided them to Rahab because there's guys going in and out all the time and maybe that would be a normal thing? You know? We don't have a lot of answers. We know that her faith was applauded because she welcomed them. And the scriptures tell us that as these spies came in, the king of Jericho found out. He literally went to Rahab and told Rahab, and you can read this in Joshua 2, to turn over the spies. And Rahab looks right at him and says, oh, yeah, yeah, the spies. They were here, but they're not here anymore. And honestly, if you just kind of like maybe, I think they told me they were going in this direction. Why don't you send the guys out and go get them? Now, the scriptures tell us that she hid the spies up on the roof. This is a lie. And, and, and the truth is, as we look at this, we rightly get hung up on lies. God never condones sin. But right here, God does applaud her faith. If you're in a small group, this is probably going to be a discussion that's going to take some time. But the scripture tells us, again, not with a whole lot of explanation, that after she talked to the king, Rahab goes up to the roof and talks with the men. And it's in Joshua chapter uh, 2, starting at verse 9. Joshua 2, verse 9. Well, let's start with verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. This is what she says. 
I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing these things. And listen to this last line. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of heavens above and earth below. If you have your Bibles open to this text, you will see that the Lord is capitalized in all of your English versions. That's the Hebrew translation of Yahweh. And what she is saying here is, I want you to know, We know your God is God. I know it. And I'm stepping out on a limb because I believe your God is God. Yahweh has given you the land. Yahweh is the supreme God. And in my heart, again, there's not a lot of scripture here saying, hey, by the way, have you come to Jesus as your personal savior? Do do you know that you must trust in the Messiah that is coming because this was before the cross? We don't get that language, but what the language we do get is your God is God. I recognize that. If you turn to James chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, James does this unbelievable recap of Rahab's life. And he says this, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She is shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away to a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so is faith dead without good works. The whole book of James is saying, once you come to faith, your actions will show it. And then James says, hey, I want to tell you about Rahab. How cool is this? She trusted God. And as a result, she hid the spies. Now, right after this, and you can read through the story, Rahab asked for safety before helping the men escape, saying, hey, I know you guys are taking this city. Would you make sure we're safe? And the guy said this, well, everybody who's in your house, when we finally attack, will be safe. So make sure your whole family's there. And also, by the way, this cord that you're letting us down, this scarlet cord, we'd like you to hang that outside the window so that as the soldiers and the army and Israel keeps walking around, I I want to point that out to them. I want them to know where you are. That's important. So God applauds uh, applauds Rahab's faith Not her lying. All right, let me keep saying that. I wonder what would happen if she didn't lie. I wonder if God would have done some other kind of a miracle. I mean, oftentimes he would blind people, or or even Jesus, we see that so much in the Gospels, where it wasn't his time and, and people wanted to throw him off a cliff. And he just walks away. So if she would have had more faith, would God have done something different? I don't know. I know that God didn't honor her lying. I also know this. She didn't have much training. She didn't have an evangelist come. I mean, what she basically says is that all the people had this much light. We've heard about God. We know that God is amazing. But it was enough for her to respond. She believed while the others disbelieved or didn't believe. 
As you read the story, the walls did come down. Rahab and her family were rescued. She lived with the Jews. And what's so amazing is this. This gal, which again, probably wouldn't be put in our hall of fame or hall of faith. She had a a son named Boaz. And he had a son named Obed. And he had a son named Jesse. And he had a son named David. Unbelievable God's grace. And then what I want to end our time with today is focusing back on Israel again. And and the reason I just did 31 before 30 is just chronologically. So let's go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, where again God applauds the nation of Israel and their faith. So verse 30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing Joshua, at this time, again, 40 years after, he sends out spies. The spies get into the town. They talk to Rahab. Rahab lets them down. They escape. They come back and give the report to Joshua, which is a good report. If you read through Joshua uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6 especially, it, it is a great story. But what happens is he calls the people together. He goes, we are going to fight Jericho. It's our first obstacle. All right? So what I want you to do is purify yourself. And I I think that's kind of important. Most of the principles in God's Word, sometimes they'll just say something in the Scripture and then move on. But I think Joshua knew his God and said, hey, if you're going to work, if you're going to use this God, we need to be pure. We need to confess our sin. And so he encouraged the people to purify themselves so they could be clean and they could be used. Then the scripture tells us that Joshua leads Israel through the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3. In fact, it's the same type of miracle that happened 40 years before. The scriptures tell us that the Jordan was in flooding stage. It was overflowing all of its banks. And Joshua leads the people on dry ground. The river stops flowing. They march through it. And the scriptures tell us that literally he leaves two stacks of rocks or memorials. And again, I just think that this is like you could do a whole message on this. But he was so excited on how God was working and that these people were trusting God that he put 12 rocks in the middle of the Jordan. And he put 12 rocks in, on, on the bank where they came out. And his explanation was this. I want everybody to know when we walk by this place, I want you to point back to this time. Our God is powerful. Our God is amazing. This was the day we trusted our God. We walked through this river on dry ground. I want you to remember this. And again, I think that's a great principle because we are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded over and over and over of the different memorials, different times of God was so faithful to us. And we put down these memorials. Well, they're across the river. The memorials are there. And something, and and, and no one again tells us how God talked to Joshua, but Joshua all of a sudden got convicted again. And he goes, you know what? There's one other thing we haven't obeyed. We need to get the guys circumcised. That, that was the covenant sign that this was Israel. They had gone 40 years. They hadn't listened. So all of the males at that time, he said, hey, guys, good news is tomorrow or whatever, we're going to fight. But tonight, you got to circumcise yourself. 
This is God's sign. And this is important. I think Joshua here was, again, modeling what fearing God was. He wanted to make sure that everything was right. He wanted to make sure that he listened to God in every area. Now, Jericho was the first challenge. And I'm not telling you, again, a new story. But I want to just kind of put it in perspective that victory had to seem impossible to this group of ragtag people. All right? Just come out of wandering in the desert for 40 years. They weren't very well trained in military. Maybe not even any weapons, for all I know. But they look at Jericho, and the walls were high and thick. And after they've even excavated some of Jericho, the walls were so thick that chariots could actually race on top of them. Nothing could get into this place, especially these guys. The soldiers were well-trained and well-armed, So Joshua got the word and the plan from God. Can you imagine that? Okay, God, this is our first challenge. Uh, Everybody's ready. Everybody's pure. Everybody's circumcised. We are ready, God. Joshua chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Honestly, um, you, you talk again about some faith. But let me get there. Now, chapter 6, verse 1. The gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. You and your fighting men will march around the town once a day for six days. Did he stop then? Did he say, hey, God, what did you say? Josh, march around one time for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. All right, God, this is what we're going to do. We are going to march around. And he gives you the order. There's the army. There's seven priests ready to blow horns. There's the ark. And remember, it's the ark of the covenant. It is the um, uh, symbol of God's presence, all right, to the nation of Israel. So you've got an army, you've got priests, you've got an ark, and you've got army. You walk around the city, once a day, and then seven times on the seventh day. Then, here's, here's the key part, Joshua. On the seventh lap of the seventh day, we want everybody to shout then. The walls will fall. And you can read the rest of the story. You're going to go in. You're going to take all the precious metals to the treasury. You're going to destroy everything as an offering to me, except for Rahab. Don't forget Rahab. Go get Rahab. And let me remind you, don't take anything or you will be destroyed, that person, and you will bring trouble on Israel. Now, we're not going to go there, but somebody did break that rule. And in Joshua chapter 7, it's one of the saddest chapters in all the Bible. But we're going to move on. So they marched around. And on the seventh day, they blew the horns. And they shouted. And the walls fell. They destroyed everything and burnt the city to the ground and they rescued Rahab. This is God-pleasing faith. The, The children of Israel, they listened to leadership and they had the faith to obey. Now, even psychologically, if you look at this, this demanded a great amount of courage. I mean, let's again state the obvious. This was a foolish, embarrassing plan, all right? 
But it was a plan where only God could receive the glory. Nobody else could take the credit. It wasn't how sharp you could shoot. It wasn't you had the greatest battering rams. It wasn't any of that. It was, I listened to God and we had a victory. Faith often looks foolish in the eyes of the world. But you know what's cool here? And and I got to just point this out. But something should actually shout out once you read Joshua chapter 6. Now, I'm not saying nobody did complain. But in the scriptures, we did not have a single word of doubt or complaint that's recorded. It is so unique because the 40 years before in the desert, that's all they did was complain. Right? But listen carefully here. There's a new generation. This new generation believed and marched around a city for a full week. God had refined Israel. All the older ones, the ones who were the complainers, they died in the wilderness. Do you see that? So now there was a new generation, a new nation. And they were beginning to trust God differently. You see, Israel modeled what faith in God looks like. It is unconditional confidence in what he says based on his word rather than trusting our own intellect, instincts, and attitudes. I'm going to skip the next slide, okay? Remember, right faith is based on right theology because you know God's word, You can say without a doubt, my God is sovereign. My God is in charge. He doesn't lie. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do wrong. I can listen to him. A God like this can be trusted. Our God keeps his promises. And this is where faith comes. You see, the enemy, I think, works hard to distort the image and the understanding of our God. I think perhaps the supreme mark of true faith is courage. I'm not sure about you, but I find it easy to believe or to trust God when circumstances are good. I just do. (laughs) God is good. I have a job. God is good. This is a wonderful vacation. God is good. I didn't get COVID. And you just keep going. And and, and as long as things look good, God is good. But faith in God is proved when it faces disaster and trial and persecution and ridicule. And you still stand unwavering. Faith in God is, I want you to march around a walled city and you're going to conquer it? Really, God? Oh. You see, our unlikely heroes today Experience the blessing of knowing God well and completely trusting his word. You see, we do not have great faith by having great courage. We have great courage when we have great faith. I'm going to ask you at this time if you would... Just bow your heads. Just be really quiet. Just, just bow your heads, not look around. And, and I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you just to, just personally, just talk to God. And here's my question. Where is God asking you to trust him? Where is God asking you today to grow in faith? It might be trusting Christ as your Savior. It might be, you know, Father, I I need to grow in sacrifice. It's hard 
for me to trust you. Or, or I need to grow in my leadership. Or my generosity. Or, or I need to forgive better, God. I need to trust you to take care of the circumstances. God, I need to grow my submission to my bosses. God, I need to grow not worshiping stuff. I like stuff, Lord. My question to you is, let's be quiet before the Lord now and ask yourself, where is it that God is asking me to trust him when it just doesn't make sense? Father, we're the first ones to admit we don't understand your ways, your timing. And there's some things in your word that you, you ask us to do that it doesn't make sense. Father, I pray that you would help us see you clearly. That you would help us understand how big and wonderful and gracious you are. And when you say you're going to take care of our needs, you will do that. When you will promise us to take care of our enemies, you will do that. That you will give us strength for every trial and situation that comes. We can count on that. That you will forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins. We can count on that. That you've given us everything in order for us to live holy, godly lives. We can count on that. God, there are so many promises. Open our eyes. Give us faith. We would love to please you by trusting in you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond in faith.